Ladies and gentlemen, it's a true honor for me to be invited to Wigmore Hall to speak about one of Austria's most famous historical personalities, Maria Theresia, Habsburg's most powerful woman. The title of my lecture refers to an exhibition which was on display at the Austrian National Library earlier this year. During the course of my lecture, I will show you a number of pictures here in the back, which form partially part of the collection of the Austrian National Library. Let me also point to this uh, painting here, a portrait of Maria Theresia, which I have brought from the Austrian ambassador's residence. It is a copy of a painting by Martin van Meitens, the Younger. It shows Maria Theresia with the crown of the Kingdom of Bohemia, the so-called crown of St. Wenceslaus in the front, and the crown of the Archduchy of Austria in the back. 300 years ago, on the 13th of May, 1717, an Archduchess was born in Vienna. She was meant to become Habsburg's most powerful woman. It is interesting to note that Maria Theresia, who many called the mother of the people, has never been empress. However, when her husband Francis was elected emperor of the Holy Roman Empire after the death of Charles VII, she called herself Roman Empress, although she was never crowned empress. She was formerly king of Hungary and Bohemia, not queen, as this title did not exist for female rulers of the two countries. It is to this very day that she continues to be called, somewhat incorrectly, Empress Maria Theresia, Kaiserin Maria Theresia. In my lecture, I would like to highlight the great achievements of Maria Theresia and deal with some of the myths that have developed over the centuries. After the Spanish line of the Habsburgs had died out in 1700, the Habsburgs in Austria were also threatened by extinction. Charles VI, the father of Maria Theresia, who had married Princess Elizabeth Christine von Braunschweig-Wolfenbüttel in 1708, had no male heir to the throne and desperately tried to secure the succession to the throne and the integrity of the empire. In those times, dynasties were judged by their ability to produce male heirs, and the lack of succession posed a major danger. Emperor Charles VI devoted great energy to the question of the succession and designed a unique solution for this perilous situation. In 1713, he published a pragmatic sanction, which stated that the Habsburg Empire should remain indivisible and inseparable. Indivisibilita ac inseparabilita, as it was in Latin. And that his daughter and their descendants should be entitled to the inheritance before anyone else. And sure enough, Emperor Charles VI passes away in 1740 without a male heir. It is important to mention that Maria Theresia, at the age of 23, was not at all prepared to become a powerful ruler of a great European empire. The Austrian historian Katrin Unterreiner, an expert on Maria Theresia, describes her education as follows, and I quote, Maria Theresia lived the life of a typical princess whose sole duty was to get married and to be a good and entertaining wife endowed with courtly manners, skills in pleasant conversation, singing, dancing, horseback riding, and hunting. There was no word of political education, juridical, or basic knowledge of the economy or of di diplomatic customs or rules." Unquote. 
Charles VI left Maria Theresia with the most complex inheritance. The empire had been weakened, the financial situation was very poor, the army was in desperate need of a reform. The assumption of power by his daughter was supported by a multitude of domestic and foreign agreements, whose value can only be judged insufficient in the face of the outbreak of the Austrian War of Succession. Maria Theresia was quite aware of her delicate position when she said that her father had left her without gold, without soldiers, and without any advice on how to proceed further. After the passing of Emperor Charles VI, the hereditary homage took place in Vienna on the 22nd of November 1740 before the very young sovereign Maria Theresia. The representatives of her realm pledge allegiance to the new ruler. This is done with the most splendid parade, which leads through Vienna's first district to St. Stephen's Cathedral. The parade has been preserved for eternity by beautiful engraving by Georg Christoph Kriegel. Immediately after Maria Theresia takes over as a new monarch, Prussian troops enter Silesia. A whole series of claims are put forward regarding different territories of the crown. In 1741, an alliance is formed between the Habsburg Empire, England, Russia, the Netherlands, and Saxony. France, Prussia, Spain, and Bavaria decide to confront Austria. As a result, the war over Silesia extends to the Austrian War of Succession. It would take much too long to describe the years of war. Suffice it to say that at the end, all powers were exhausted by the war, and in 1748, the Austrian War of Succession is ended and the pragmatic sanction is recognized. Francis I, at the tender age of six, Maria Theresia encounters her future husband, Duke Francis Stephen of Lorraine, for the first time. The then 15-year-old Duke stepped in for his brother Clemens, who had died at the age of 16. Francis Stephen is warmly received by Emperor Charles VI, who welcomes him like an own son he never had. However, Francis Stephen is not considered of sufficiently high rank. But it is too late. Maria Theresia had fallen in love with her Franzi. That was the name that she had always used for her husband. She insisted, and after a long tug of war, Duke Francis Stephen was allowed to return to Vienna from a voyage through Europe on which Emperor Charles VI had sent him, and they were allowed to get married on the 12th of February, 1732, at the Augustinerkirche in Vienna. It was a true love marriage. Only 12 weeks after the wedding, Maria Theresia is expecting her first child. Fifteen more were to follow. We will learn more about her children later on. While Maria Theresia appoints her husband to her co-regent, she does not confer any power upon him. In fact, he is not entrusted with any government tasks. Francis I is neither a ruler nor a monarch. He loves his family, although he does not give up some extramarital affairs, which were only too common in the aristocratic circles of the time. He manages very successfully the family's finances and pursues his interest in natural sciences. There's a lovely anecdote about the precious but rare moments which the couple could spend together away from their daily duties and the demanding life of a very big family. 
During a walk in the hillside outside of Vienna, Francis saw some beautiful grapes in the garden. He climbed over a wall and picked some grapes as a gift for his wife. The owner of the vineyard, who did not recognize the high noble couple, demands five gilder as a compensation. Asked for their names, they introduced themselves properly. However, the wine farmer does not believe them. As neither of the two has any money on them, they are locked up in the wine cellar. The couple was eventually liberated by their guards and the wine farmer was presented with double the amount whereupon he put a plug in memory of the imperial visitors. After the death of her beloved husband, Maria Theresia was devastated. She said, I have lost the most loving of all men. For the rest of her life, she would only dress in black and thus constantly remind everybody of the loss of her Franzi. Reforms. When the recognition of the pragmatic sanction was finally reached in 1749 and Maria Theresia's right of succession was no longer challenged, she turned to her reform agenda, which made her the greatest reformer of her times. She had inherited outdated government structures and a miserable economic performance of her realm. Her reforms include a complex overhaul of the army, the economy, agriculture and the education system. She was particularly gifted in choosing the right advisors whose choice very often stunned political observers. Most of her advisors had been influenced by ideas of the upcoming enlightenment, although she remained an absolute monarch of the Baroque age. When choosing her advisors, Maria Theresia solely focused on their skills and their power of implementation. In fact, she created a multinational council of advisors who were all experts in their fields. And that included people from the Netherlands, Saxony, Prussia. It was truly a very multinational council of advisors. Already in 1742, Maria Theresia established the Haus, Hof und Staatskanzlei, the state chancery, which she put in charge of foreign policy. This is, by the way, today's seat of our Prime Minister, our Chancellor, Ballhausplatz II, which used to be the Foreign Ministry when I started in the Foreign Service, and is now solely the Prime Minister's office. After the end of the War of Succession, and due to the enormous costs of the war, she needed to engage in a major reform of state finances and the tax regime. She introduced a general tax system, which for the first time obliged the aristocracy and the clergy to pay taxes. As a basis for levying the taxes, a general land registry, registry was introduced, which is still known as the Maria Theresian Land Registry and is still in operation in many countries of Central and Eastern Europe, which formed part of the Habsburg Empire. An important element was the reform of the administrative structures. With the exception of the Netherlands and Hungary, Maria Theresia abolished the administration which had traditionally been carried out by the estates and introduced a hierarchy of administrative units with state-employed public servants, for the first time state-employed public servants. The spiritus rector behind these reforms was Friedrich Wilhelm von Haugwitz, a native of Saxony, who can rightfully be called the father of the modern state administration conducted by well-trained public officials. Reform of the military. The war of succession had shown that Maria Theresia's army did not live up to its task. 
Like in other areas, Maria Theresia was eager to learn from the best. In the case of the military, Prussia became her model. She doubled the size of the army and had it entirely reformed by Field Marshal of the Imperial Army, Count Leopold von Daun, who delivered his masterpiece when he defeated the army of Prussia's Frederick the Great in 1759. In 1751, Maria Theresia founded the Military Academy in Wiener Neustadt, which is the world's oldest military academy, and to this very date, trains the officers of the Austrian army. Similar to the reform of the state administration, Maria Theresia decided to push back the jurisdiction of landlords by establishing a highest judicial office, the precursor of Austria's Supreme Court of today. In order to establish a basis for a centralized government of the empire, the widely differing forms of jurisdiction in the different parts of her realm were harmonized. In 1769, Maria Theresia introduced the Codex Theresianus, a collection of the existing legislation which should serve a future unification. In the field of criminal law, a unitary penal law was created, the so-called Constitutio Criminalis Theresiana. Late in her reign, under the influence of her son, the later Emperor Joseph II, she abolished the torture for all the territory of the empire. It is the son of a converted Jewish linguist, Josef von Sonnenfels, who tirelessly worked in the background for reform of the university and the justice systems. The laws which he proposed as one of the closest advisors of Maria Theresia include a law on the police, very new, a law against usury, very new, and a decree on better street lightning, very important. Educational reform. One of the most revolutionary reforms was undertaken by Maria Theresia in the field of education, of schools and universities. She revolutionized education with the introduction of obligatory schooling. Following the advice of Gerhard van Swieten, a physician from Leiden in the Netherlands, who later became the personal physician of the Empress, and Josef von Sonnenfels, who we saw before, Maria Theresia removed the universities and schools from the dominating role of the Catholic Church. This is even more astonishing, as she was a convinced Catholic, a devout Catholic, who, as we will see later on, had little tolerance for other religions. In 1774, Maria Theresia signs the General School Regulation, Allgemeine Schulordnung für die Deutschen Normalhaupt- und Trivialschulen in sämtlichen kaiserlichen königlichen Erbländern. She installed three different types of schools and obligatory schooling, as I mentioned, which should educate pupils from different backgrounds of life in the subjects religion, reading, writing, basic mathematics, and teach basic knowledge in ethics and economics. Mandatory schooling was indeed a revolutionary concept. It is interesting to note that the regulations contained very modern instructions for the teachers. For example, it is important that one does not only develop the memory, nor should the youth be pestered with memorization, but emphasis should be put on developing the minds of the pupils. Maria Theresia also founded the Theresianum, which was designed to educate public servants. To this day, this is one of Austria's premier schools. 
The universities became secular. Maria Theresia improved the medical faculty and built a new aula for the University of Vienna. In addition, she founded the Diplomatic Academy of Vienna in 1754 under the name of Oriental Academy for the education of diplomats. The Diplomatic Academy of Vienna is the world's oldest institution of its kind. Maria Theresia followed a more modern form of mercantilism in her economic reforms, influenced by the teachings of Josef von Sonnenfels. The primary goal of her economic policy was food security and job creation. A booming economy was meant to deliver higher tax revenue, which was needed also to maintain a large army. While the crafts were concentrated in the cities, the rural areas focused on agriculture and its associated crafts. During her reign, the granting of monopolies, which was usually, they were usually given to the aristocracy, was reduced in order to further investments by the aristocracy. A unified economic area was created. Internal tariffs are abolished and customs barriers are moved to the external border. It reminds you of a single market. Maria Theresia intensively supports industrial settlements. For example, she establishes the so-called Nadelburg, Needle Castle, outside of Wiener Neustadt, which develops into a most modern industrial enterprise, which produces needles, decoration boxes, and thimbles. The workers arrived from all over the monarchy and lived in especially built houses. This ensemble of factory and workers' homes has been preserved to this very day and is the most important industrial monument of the times of Maria Theresia. Finally, a major effort was made to improve the empire's infrastructure by building shipping canals, roads, and improving postal services. Religion. For many centuries, the Pietas Austriaca, the piety of the Habsburgs, had become their trademark. Like many of her predecessors, Maria Theresia sees herself as being entrusted by God with her reign. Nevertheless, as a very pragmatic person, she reduces the influence of the church by putting church institutions under state control. However, Maria Theresia fears that the authority of the state and the society is undermined by religious tolerance. In 1744, all Jews of Prague are driven out of the city short before Christmas, a measure which reflected her anti-Semitic views. This measure was taken despite the fact that it also caused a great economic damage to the city. Her intolerance extended to Christian religious communities as well. Like before, during the reign of Charles VI, clandestine Protestant communities in the Salzkammergut and Kenrinthia are forced to leave their homes and are sent off to far away regions of the empire. Families are being torn apart, who, whole rural communities are forcefully resettled. And it was really her conviction of a very staunch Catholic and her fear of revolution in this society that I think made her really also very intolerant when it came to other religions. A very important point of Maria Theresia is her marriage politics. There's this famous word that you might have heard before, Bella Garant Alii, tu Felix Austria Nube. 
Let others wage war. You happy Austria, marry. This is a well-known description of a very successful policy which the Habsburgs followed over the years. If you visit Schönbrunn Castle and take the guided tour with international visitors, you get to the first portrait of Maria Theresia when the tour guide says, this is Empress Maria Theresia. There's the appropriate head nodding. However, once the tour guide mentions that the Empress has had 16 children, you can hear a resounding wow. You can never have enough of them. On this point, I'm insatiable. The Empress said on one occasion, she had a great talent to combine her state duties with the role of a loving mother. The children lived in different parts of the court buildings and all had their own servants. Very often the whole family was united for breakfast and dinner. <clears throat> At one instance, Maria Theresia apologized to one of her ministers that the document had a coffee stain because one of the children had knocked over a coffee mug on the breakfast table while the Empress was working on the document. Almost every year between 1737 and 1756, almost 20 years, a child was born. Two children died at or shortly after their birth, four of them in their youth. Maria Theresia carefully planned the marriages of her children who had to submit to public interest. The goal of the arranged marriages was to improve political relations with foreign countries and to strengthen the position of Austria in Europe. Following the advice of her state chancellor, Kurt Kaunitz, she was particularly interested in extending family ties with the Bourbons. The most prominent weddings involved Archduke Joseph, who later became Emperor Joseph II, and Maria Isabella from Bourbon Parma. Joseph's brother, Joseph's brother Leopold, who later became Emperor Leopold II, was married to Princess Maria Ludovica of Spain, and the third son, Archduke Ferdinand Karl, espoused Duchess Beatrix of Modena Este. While all the wedding projects, projects with her sons developed as planned, there were some problems with the arranged marriages of Maria Theresia's daughters, mostly due to health problems, which included the widespread disease of smallpox. Some marriages had to be cancelled, among others between Duchess Maria Elizabeth and the French King Louis XV. Duchess Maria Carolina had to take the place of her deceased sister and to marry King Ferdinand I of Naples and Sicily. The most ambitious project, the wedding of Duchess Maria Antonia, Marie Antoinette, with the French King Louis XVI, ended with the execution during the French Revolution. There are three more subjects which I would like to touch on briefly. Maria Theresia's foreign policy, her role as a builder, and her love for music. The most important foreign policy goal of Maria Theresia after her assumption of, the, of power was the stabilization of the empire. The war of succession meant territorial losses for her and brought her into a lifelong rivalry with Frederick the Great of Prussia, who she once even called the monster. Following the suggestions of State Chancellor Kaunitz, who had advocated a rapprochement with France, she agreed to a, what is later known as the renversement des alliances, the, the reversal of the alliances, a shift in the alliances from Great Britain to France. The Seven Years' War resulted in the final loss of Silesia to Prussia. 
However, Maria Theresia was able to acquire parts of Poland in 1772, Galicia and Ludomeria. Her son Joseph, who became co-regent of Maria Theresia after the death of her husband, prepared the annexation of the Bukovina in 1773 and acquired the territory along the river Inn during the Bavarian War of Succession. Maria Theresia is said to have disliked this aggressive and expansionist policy. However, Frederick the Great once commented on Habsburg's expansion during the reign of Maria Theresia. She wept, but took nevertheless. Maria Theresia as a builder. During the era of Maria Theresia, we witnessed the rise of Vienna to become the Habsburg's empire's epicenter. The imperial palace inside Vienna's city walls is enlarged and modernized. From 1743, the former hunting lodge Schönbrunn is turned into the most splendid Schönbrunn Palace, which certainly most of you know. The, the vast park includes, among others, the Schönbrunn Zoo, the oldest zoo in the world. It should be mentioned that starting in 1778, the park of Schönbrunn Palace was open to the public, as it said, for, very, for every person with decent clothes, as the instruction read at the time. Maria Theresia also restores a number of other buildings, palaces, and commissions a theater. She loves to host festivities at the court, lavish mask balls, concerts, and sledge rides. Maria Theresia was a talented singer herself, who appeared on the court stage in opera productions. Her vocal teacher was Pietro Metastasio, a poet and librettist, who wrote, among others, the libretto for Mozart's opera La Clemenza di Tito, which I'm, I don't know if you have, uh, was to be heard this year at Kleinborn, but also at the Salzburg Festival. Maria Theresia's love for music was widely known. Thus, the court and the lively musical scene in Vienna attracted many musical talents. Among them were Christoph Willibald Gluck, Josef Haydn, and Antonio Salieri. On the 13th of October, 1762, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was received by the Empress in an audience at Schönbrunn Palace. Mozart enchanted all members of the imperial household with his music. Mozart's father, Leopold, reports later on from the meeting, Der Wolferl, little Wolfgang, jumped on Maria Theresia's lap, put his arms around her neck, and kissed her intensively. Unfortunately, the imperial encounter did not fulfill Mozart's expectations as he had hoped to be offered a permanent position at the court. On the 29th of November, 1780, Maria Theresia passes away in the Hofburg Palace in the presence of five of her children. She is laid to rest next to her husband in the imperial crypt of the Habsburgs in the monastery of the Capuchins in the center of Vienna. Even after her death, Maria Theresia remains very present in the memory of her subordinates. In many cities of the monarchy, monuments of Maria Theresia were being put up. The most famous one is located in Vienna. It was sculptured by Kaspar Zumbusch and towers the park between the Kunsthistorisches Museum and the Museum of Natural History on the Ringstraße. 
It was officially dedicated by Emperor Francis Joseph I in 1873 and shows her surrounded by her most important advisors, many of the people that I mentioned before. Maria Theresia is a symbol of the Habsburg dynasty and an incarnation of the idea of the Austrian state during the times of enlightened absolutism. While she was endowed with an iron will, a visionary mind and a never-ending energy which allowed her to implement major reforms which modernized the empire, she remained a ruler who was attached to her Catholic and Baroque view of the world and thought of herself as being chosen to rule by the grace of God. This conviction, as I mentioned before, and the fear of instability of the society resulted in her religious intolerance. Her strong personality serves as a role model for many images of women, a caring mother, a dedicated wife, but also, and unusual at her time, a strong and successful female sovereign and reformer. Maria Theresia proved at an early point in history that it is not the question of gender that decides who can develop responsible and visionary policies. Still today, many see Maria Theresia as a guardian of family life, of tradition, and as the personification of piety. Her myth has endured throughout the centuries and is reflected in many paintings, monuments, music, and literature. I thank you for your attention. <laughs>